Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for supernatural girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK. PK, how are you doing tonight? Um, I'm freezing, believe it or not. It's cold down here for a change. <laughs> oh, I that's different. This morning. That Do you have a coat so on? I've got a heavy sweater on and socks. <laughs> wow. In Tucson. Tucson, but that it, it was a major change to drop down to 44 this morning versus the, our nice warm weather that we've been having. It'll change yeah. again tomorrow, I'm sure. It always wow. does. <laughs> it does. So what's happening? What have we got going on with numbers? You've got a crazy world, but what's happening? We're still in that Mercury retrograde, right? Oh, for God's sakes, yes, we are until the 18th. Just another, almost a week to get through it. And once we get through it, thank God, it has been a real barn burner. It's created all kinds of chaos and nothing, nothing is working the way we think it should. And I guess it's the way the universe wants it to go, but it certainly isn't very pretty. But you had uh, taken a look at some of the things that are ongoing, and we were talking about angel numbers. And uh, yeah. it's something new that I hadn't looked at before and taken a look at that. And one of the things, the one article that the young lady mentioned about was taking your birth year and subtract your birth day, your years from that. And I thought, so your age, so you subtract, you subtract your age from it. Uh Uh huh. And when it ends up, the thing that I was quite surprised at, it ends up that I'm as of this month going into a sixth universal year. When I did this number removing the age from the birth year, it's the same number. I thought that was a, a little unique and different that it would do that. Yeah, that is. And it's all about family-type things. And, boy, I have been meeting those coming and going. And it's all oh, you part sure and have. Yeah. But the yes. numbers right now, if people will pay attention to what they're facing this month, the most important thing is this month is a preview of next year. So the things that you find that are doing a little shake, rattle, and roll, you've got time to work on it. You've got time to fix it before you go full bore into January. But it's there's a lot of things that are taking place that are not the norm, or do we even want it to be the norm? It's just everything is kind of up and down. So taking a look at the angel guide numbers, they add something, they give another dimension to it, and Right now, I think the most important thing any of us could do 
is really pay attention to what we're doing this month, how it's going, because this is our outline for the coming year. If you're having issues with kids, know that that's going to be your problem. If you're having financial issues, know that's going to be the problem. Every one of these things, but we can work on them because we're getting a preview of it right now. So anything that we let slide, we know we're going to meet it head on after the first of the year. So we've got, but but we've got a guide to go by for a change. Makes it a little easier. It should. And I think that's part of it because we can make a plan, pay attention. And you're going to find out that this is this is a good roadmap because people that come into your life during this period of time, you may be surprised to find out that they're going to be a part of your life throughout this coming year in one form hmm. or another, whether it's through their attitude and needing to work with gratitude for the things that we've gotten as opposed to looking at the things we don't have. Everything is – it's – like looking at a shotgun blast. Decide which hole you want to pick at or plug. That's about it. Yeah. Okay. That does. That does indeed. So if anybody wants to take a look at their number, their angel number, and again, it is, let's say you take your birth year and you subtract your age. And that's Uh the year you want to look up on this website, Sacred Scribes. Angelnumbers.blogspot.com. Again, that's Sacred Scribes Angel Numbers.blogspot.com. Yeah, that's the one that uh, we found that had the most information on it, and it was pretty right. comprehensive. Definitely. So, well, one that's of the, the things you can do also when you subtract your age from the year, add the total across afterwards. See what that number represents because that's going to give you some information also that you hadn't thought about. Yes, yes, that's true. A bit of yes, up, up in the air. <laughs> so we'll All good. Work All through good. and work All it helpful. out. Great. Yeah, we're going to do it one way or another. Well, we're going to have to do it. We don't have choices. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we we think we do, but we'll see. We'll find out. Right, we're going to find out. So I also want to mention uh, we are coming into late fall, actually the fall, but in New England, especially in Massachusetts, in another month, you are going to get an estimate on what your property tax uh, bill is going to be. So that is all based on what your property is valued at. So all that should be coming to you before the end of this year. And I highly recommend, if you haven't done this already, get your property record card and scrutinize it. Make sure there's no errors on it. And then if there are, you want to get a book called Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. And that's by attorney Patricia Quintilian. This was written years ago. It's just a little bit outdated in terms of some of the forms. However... The process is the same. Uh, the rights of property owners all over the country, but especially Massachusetts, are very limited. So if you don't know your rights, you're not looking at your property record card, guess what? That's a mistake because it's all on your shoulders. If there's a mistake on your property record card, like my friend Margie had a big mistake on her property record card, there was a barn on her property record card that she was being taxed on. The barn did not exist. 
but she paid $5,000 in taxes on this barn until one day, at my suggestion, she pulled her card and she saw the barn and she was like, hey, assessors, there's no barn on my property. Well, they had to come out and inspect her property to make sure. Sure enough, there was no barn there, but the way the laws are written, you don't have the right to go back and get any of that money that you already were charged erroneously. So every year you need to check that property record card and make sure that it's accurate. And if it isn't, the book will tell you what to do next. So it's a great book. There's a lot of horror stories in there that are quite entertaining as long as it's not you, but it's worth a read and you can find it on Amazon. So are you getting screwed on your property taxes, how to find out, and how to fix it? So be sure to go to our Facebook page. Give us a like and a follow. We've got so many stories posted there, great ones. And next week we've got Nick Redfern coming in to give us the latest on cryptids. We hear Bigfoot's being spotted all over the place lately. Lots of really good pictures, too, which I don't think are being faked. So we're going to hear from Nick next week. But tonight, we've got one of our very favorite people on. We're so happy that Jerry Wills is with us tonight. Now, Jerry is an extraordinary healer, and he has encountered unusual phenomena and beings from other dimensions and other worlds. He lives a very exciting life with his beautiful wife, Kathy. And I just want to read you something that was on his website, and I thought it was so moving. God lives here. Whatever God might be, I know God is always present in love. As I give my love and attention, I feel God move powerfully through me. My hands become burning hot, often quite obvious to whomever I happen to touch. As I breathe, a rush of light and energy flows through me. I feel the effects from the illness of the person I'm connected to. During this time, I move through several areas of experience with my client. Finally, I feel a cool wave move across and through me. At this point, I realize I can do no more. Removing myself, I relax and wait. The experience leaves me completely filled with energy and life. It is always amazing. So that's what Jerry wrote. You can go to his website, jerrywills.com. There is a book you can purchase there, and Jerry also does his own podcast. So, Jerry, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. What a nice introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome, and we're so thrilled you're here with us tonight. It's just great to have you here. I know you've been traveling around, and now you're back in Arizona, and you've had quite some adventures I've been following online, and... Feel free to start wherever you want because you've got some of the best paranormal adventures that we've ever heard. So you can start oh, wherever thanks. you'd like. Well, you know, <clears throat> when I was listening to you take a quote from my site, something came to mind. It, it's it's not about my adventures like adventure, but I'll just throw it in there and then we'll go on to something else. An amazing thing happened recently. Uh, I was contacted by a gal in California. The doctors had given her dog some antibiotics because of a serious ear infection. Long story short, the dog uh, suffered from these antibiotics. The retinas detached. The dog, a young dog, 
four or five years old, a German shepherd, became quite blind. Well, no one could explain, really, what the effect of the antibiotics it had, <clears throat> and no one knew what to do. They were at a complete loss. Took the dog to a doctor who specializes in eyes for animals. And the doctor basically said, well, you know, I, I don't know what we could do. And the, the retinas have detached. I got a phone call, as so often happens. Actually, it was an email. Um, and requesting, would you please try to help Smokey? And I said, well, yeah, of course. I love animals. So I worked with Smokey the dog. This is about a week ago. I got a call today uh, and I was told that the retinas are 50% reattached. No one can explain oh, wow. how that's possible. Isn't that wonderful? And, oh, that's incredible. And I expect, I expect you know, the, the Smokey will regain some portion of his eyesight. I don't know how much, maybe all of it. But it was truly a miracle and I was pretty thrilled to get that news so i thought in light of what you were saying at the intro yes. for me that i would just share that short little story about Smokey. well that Wonderful. is a beautiful beautiful story and now when you worked with him do you work with with, with in a situation like this where it's critical also um, do you do more than one session for healing or do you do just one and that's as far as it can take you no, I figure it's God's work. It would be quite illegitimate of me to think that I need to do more than once. Uh-huh. That okay. somehow seems dishonest to me. If, if God's involved, why would God need twice? Interesting. Good Never point. thought of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful, though. The 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 owners of Smokey must be thrilled, as well as Smokey himself. Gosh, that's terrific, Jerry. That really yeah, must. It, I, it I mean, everybody ends up feeling so good. That's that's really great because if you hadn't stepped in, there would have been no other alternative for him. Well, that's what everyone was telling uh, this lady that owns him that there's nothing we can do. Maybe some complicated, very expensive surgery to try, but it might end up where there's no hope for recovery. It is a bit sketchy, so yeah. She thought, well, plus you well, risk I've, I've heard section and this. everything else. So yeah. So it was a feel-good story, and it was something that had a nice ending, as so many of uh, the experiences I have with folks and, and animals as well. They, they don't all end up wonderful and fantastic, but a great number of them do. You know, better than eighty percent. The thing is, I, I don't know who I can help. I never know. I never know what the outcome is going to be. I kind of figured that if I could, if I could fix everyone, that would be placing me in God's domain, mm -hmm. to where I would be like God. And I don't think that's what I want for myself. <laughs> Even though there are times when it just really makes me sad that, you know, I haven't been able to help someone who so desperately is requesting it. 
Oh, I, I just I can't fix everybody, but I do my best, and that's about all I can do, really. Just be there, be present, and do the best I know how, and leave the rest up to God. Because I don't want to be God. Not in that capacity. Last time someone did that, it didn't turn out so well for them. It sure didn't. <clears throat> right. Oh, my goodness. But what a wonderful, wonderful thing that you uh, you have become a part of which is offering this healing for animals and people. And, gosh, we all kind of need it right now. As we turn away from our institutions, we have to look inward and we have to look to spirit to guide us through. But you're used to doing that. You've done this your whole life, right? Well, yeah, I have. But most of my life I just kept it under wraps. I kept it quiet because, you know, I... I was, you know, married before and had, you know, relationships before Kathy. And, you know, they would laugh, make fun of me, say, who do you think you are? You think you're God or something? You know, you can't do anything. You're just, you're just fooling yourself and fooling other people. Uh. But I knew different inside. And it wasn't really until a whole series of events uh, that I met Kathy, and she saw what I was capable of, and I told her about my inhibitions, about all of it, and she said, well, how about if you and I do it together? And so she was basically the person that stood there and held me up when I was weak, and comforted me when I was worried and gave me strength to try one more time and then again and again. And in my mind, Kathy's my hero because of her. All of these people I've worked on over the past quarter century have had some benefit and some aspect of a better life because of Kathy. And I know as they look at me like, oh, well, you did, you're, you're quite a healer. But I tell you, folks, I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for her. She's the one yeah. that and put her arm around me and said, you can lean on me. I can be strong for both of us, and we'll do this. So she's my hero, really. She really well, is wonder- an angel, and God bless Heather. her for, for standing by you like that. That's great. Never met anyone That's like great. her before. Well, you're one lucky man, I'd say. <laughs> you found the right <laughs> angel at the right time. Yes, and an angel she is. That's true. She's she's one of those naughty angels with tarnished wings that um, <laughs> you know takes a roll in the in the dirt and knock you down and pick you up and brush you off and say, "Try it again, buddy." <laughs> Oh, that's great. That is just so wonderful. Now, of course, my phone is blowing up with text messages. How do we get a hold of Jerry? So that would be to your website. Is that the best way? Yeah, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, just go to jerrywills, W-I-L-L-S dot com. That's where you can send me a message or book a session or, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, Just reach out and say hi. That's fun, too. Um, but that's the best way to get a hold of me. 
Yeah, okay. That's how you do it, everybody. So you've also had a lot of paranormal experience. We've heard some of your stories in previous shows, but feel free to start wherever you'd like with any of your experiences because they're all remarkable. So just pick one and go. (laughs) We recently uh, went to Nebraska. That's where Kathy's family and children live for a wedding. And from there, we traveled south to Joplin, Missouri. And while we were there, our goal was to go out on um, State Line Road, which is the road running from north to south uh, along the um, Missouri-Oklahoma border. This is the place outside of Joplin where people see the Joplin spook lights. And Kathy and I had been out there uh, many years ago. <clears throat> when we first you know, <laughs> started making documentaries. You know, you hear stories like this, and the story goes basically like this. You're, you're standing there. It's the middle of the night. It's dark, and you're in this heavily wooded area along this lonely road, and suddenly there are lights, hmm. dim, and some bright. Some look like a welder's arc. Some approach oh. cars and then vanish. There's all kinds of stories. So you hear this and you think, that's really quite a story, but is it real? So you go yourself to find out, which is what we did, Um, both the first time and the second time. The first time we went there, uh, we had a little Sony camera that you flip a switch and it gives you what they call night vision. The screen is green, but you can see pretty good in the dark. Mm. And we're watching. And there are these lights that just cannot be explained. And I'm thinking, you know, that that could be people. There could be somebody down there screwing with us. They, it looks like candles, people walking with candles, several lights, not just one or two. Or maybe, hey, that looks like a flashlight. Yeah, someone's in there with a, with a flashlight. Oh, there's a bright one. Well, they must have just pointed a bright flashlight at us for a moment and switched it off. So I'm thinking, okay, I like the paranormal, but I don't like being goofed with. I want to find out what this is. So uh, it's like 1130 at night, a lonely backwoods country road in an unfamiliar place. I took a radio. Kathy had the other one. She waited at the uh, vehicle, and I just took off walking, and I walked about a I don't know, maybe a tenth of a mile. Went down into this little dip, and that's where the lights were in the trees. And so I'm walking in the dark. In no, I have no light. It's total darkness. And there's lights here and there. But where they were, if somebody was up in the trees, it'd have to be a monkey or be able to jump from one limb to another 100 feet away. So there was no explanation for it. It was very spooky. And I got a little creeped out by it, but my curiosity was greater than my being creeped out, so I stayed a little bit longer. (laughs) And I couldn't explain it. So I came back. We made a documentary. 
and we put that up as a it's an expeditions TV documentary. It's it's on our um, JerryWillShow.com site. So here we are again, going down to Joplin. We go down there, back to the same country road. Now I have a whole lot better equipment. And by golly, we're going to see what we can find. Because now I'm convinced it's not people. It's some phenomena. Mm -hmm. Get it set up, push all the buttons, comes on for a moment, and it goes off. There's no way that I could turn things on. It just wouldn't. Now, I had tested it at the Phaeton before we went down there. So we're standing there. There are lights. And they're winking off and on and moving over here and moving over there. And so it's like, well, I was going to do a live broadcast of these lights. That didn't happen. Oh, cool. There's just no way we could do anything except get a real crude um, shot in the dark off of an iPhone. That's the only thing that was working. So that was disappointing. But still, those lights are there, and it's just an amazing thing to see. Well, we decided we'll go, keep going. About two years ago, Kathy and I did a show with uh, Orville and Cheryl Murphy at uh, the Board Camp Mine down in Mena, Arkansas. And uh, it was an amazing story that they had told us. So they had video footage and camera footage and all kinds of things. And because of COVID, we didn't get out last year. So I'm so determined. Got to get there. I want to see this. Well, folks, what's happening is that the Board Camp Crystal Mine, they get quartz crystals there. Large, large deposit of quartz crystals. Very pretty ones. Where they initially started digging, one night... In 2017, three columns of light, huge columns of light, just burst upward out of the ground into the sky. Lasted for maybe 10 seconds, and then it was gone. Of course, the Murphys were astonished. They didn't know what that was. Was somebody back there goofing with them? They didn't know. They went to check it out, and what they discovered is that these metal posts, you know, it's like a a stake, really. It's a large piece of steel that you hammer into the ground and attach fence to. Well, these were, of course, in the ground, but they were all bent in toward the mine. So they knew something strange had occurred. As time continued, more lights, more strange occurrences. Now, Orville was up there almost every day, digging for crystals, finding lots and lots of them. And he would find that uh, his tools, when he left them, he'd come back, they're all scattered. So he'd have to go and pick them up and reassemble everything and get back to work. Well, there was an occasion where he noticed that he'd have left some rocks where he'd pulled out large rocks that were just rocks put it over there, put it over here. He'd come back, and they weren't where he had put them. So he thought, you know, someone's someone's goofing with us. I mean, you always think that. When you can't explain it, someone's doing this. So you're going to put up a game camera. 
So he put up a game camera. And what he got on the game camera was absolutely spectacular. He has a video of a rock lifting off the ground and floating in the air and falling back down again. He has rocks moving from one place to another, and not just one at a time, several all at once. Huge rocks, like too big for me to pick up, just sliding maybe 10 feet from point A to point B. And Hmm. another video shows this uh, pretty good-sized rock just sliding across the ground and just going right off the edge, you know, down the other side of the hill. So you hear these stories and you think, huh, that, that sounds quite wild. And you wonder what the truth is. So we went there to find out for ourselves. Now, Cheryl has told us on both occasions during the show that sometimes rocks just fall out of the thin air onto the floor like someone threw them, except there's no one there to throw them. They just appear and just crash to the ground. I thought, well, that, I've heard of such things. You know, when we interviewed the Navajo Rangers, they told us that coins were just materializing in thin air and falling to the floor. And when I interviewed them, you know, these guys are police officers, and they're telling us this. So I'd been exposed to this sort of thing happening as a result of my interview with uh, Stan and John from the Navajo Rangers. Never crystals, though. So we're there. We felt that the energy there was just absolutely bizarre. We felt like we were walking around with lead boots on. And oh, no kidding. But it felt so relaxed and peaceful that we just wanted to sleep. It just was a really curious energy. Well, we go and see the site where the lights showed up, and we go see this, that, and the other. And now it's nighttime, and we're sitting there on this veranda, on this building that they had built, overlooking a nice pasture. And, of course, the uh, they call it the site, which is where the first crystal mine is located. It's just a few hundred feet up a hill to the right. So we're sitting there in darkness. <clears throat> There's Kathy and I. Kathy's son, Jordan, and his wife, Rhonda, are off to the left. Orville and, and um, Cheryl are off to my right. So I'm almost in the center. Kathy and I are really at the center. And we're sitting there just chatting softly. All of a sudden, it sounded like someone had thrown a rock. And Cheryl says, oh, they did it, they did it. She's all excited. And I'm thinking, what the hell was that? So lights come on, and flashlights come on, and we go looking. Down a hall... Uh, it's like rooms with halls and it's mostly open air down this little bit of a hall there is a crystal just lying there in the center of the floor they said it was a calcite crystal calcite makes a quartz crystal kind of green they were all excited about that 
Don't know where it came from. No one else was there. We know that. So no idea how that could have gotten there. So we walk back to our chairs, get back to our chairs, and flashlights and lights go off, and we're just sitting there. Of course, I'm looking around. Any more crystals anyplace? Yeah. Well. (laughs) I'd be doing the same thing. (laughs) Me too. Within within about five minutes, there's this sound like a smaller stone, just a small pebble had been tossed. And it seemed to come right from behind us. Well, we all jumped up, flashlights on, and right exactly behind Kathy's chair was this large, large feather just lying there, beautiful, perfect. There's no way it could have gotten there. I mean, I just had walked right, I might have stepped right on it where it was placed. It wasn't there before, and yet now here it is. So Kathy got a feather. And that was repeated the second night when someone else showed up and there was this this kablam on top of the roof and some huge rock must have hit the roof. Never did find out what that was. But the the, the place is is one of very high strangeness. Um I flew the drone we have a DJI drone, and I flew it over toward the uh, the first small, it's just a small excavation pit, probably 30 feet by 18 feet. And, I don't know, maybe 8 feet deep at its deepest point. It's kind of bowl-shaped. So I've decided I'm going to fly the drone over this property, get some good B-roll footage, and... I got right over that area, and a warning came on on my drone controller telling me that the compass was way out of calibration, return home now and fix it. Well, you know, if you have a drone and that happens, you know that you could lose it. So I flew it back. It crashed. Went Went through the calibration. Everything's fine. I'm thinking to myself, huh. Now, uh, they have had scientists and physicists and archaeologists and all kinds of people out there who say that there's a vortex of energy at 300 feet above that hole. So I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder if that had anything to do with that. So I took off again with the drone, and I went to 300 feet, and I flew right over that area. And as soon as I did, warnings came on again. This time, something huh. called the IMU. Well, the IMU is an inertial monitoring unit that basically is a series of accelerometers. They're using gravity to measure speed and ascent and descent and forward, backward, so forth. It's a gravity monitor is what it is in simple terms. And this thing had just gone nuts. There are two of them. One of them on the bottom had just gone nuts. I managed to get the drone back, and it it said do a calibration immediately. So I tried. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get it to calibrate. I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm standing here, you know, in this spot out here where gravity and the energy, whatever, it feels so strange. 
So I took it into the Phaeton. There's a lot of electronics in the Phaeton, and, you know, broadcast studio and our home living arrangement and test equipment and all kinds of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, it's pretty well shielded. I tried to do it in the Phaeton. Yeah, I wouldn't do it there either. So now I'm thinking in general, this area is messing with it, and I'll just have to wait until some other time. Right. When we got back here to Black Canyon City, where, where we've landed, I got it out, couldn't get it to do it. So the next day I called DJI. They had me download an app, and it took me about two, two and a half hours of going through one procedure after another to get the uh, IMU device calibrated once again. Gosh. And now it works. Something severely hit the drone at 300 feet. Nothing in the air. And you know the other strange thing about this place, Kathy and I were talking about this off and on while we were there, there were no insects and there were no birds. Ooh, that is weird. Yeah. Especially since she was given a feather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, no insects, no birds. However, they do see Bigfoot there frequently. Uh, they even have pictures. You know, I, I didn't see anything. Well, but. But isn't it true that Bigfoot likes to throw rocks? I mean, that's one of the things I've heard over and over again, that they love to throw rocks, especially at people who are in their territory. But it, doesn't, it sounds more playful than that with what you experienced. You know, I've, I've, I've heard that same thing uh, from a number of people, mostly on the uh, Navajo Reservation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> where they've, you know, they they have like this camaraderie with the Bigfoot somehow. And, yeah, throwing rocks, uh, that seems to be a, a common staple of the Bigfoot experience. <clears throat> but, you know, of course, we didn't see any Bigfoot, but it was it was totally black outside. I mean, you could see well enough. I mean, if you went out there to walk, you could see. It wasn't like... Close your eyes black. But uh, if they were doing that, I don't know how they could have gotten by us. I mean, this, this seemed to me that it was something that just materialized right out of the air. One of the things that happened to Cheryl is that one of the rocks, <clears throat> one of the rocks uh, from the dig site, ended up in her house on top of and carefully placed on top of her laptop, and there was no way for anyone to get inside. They they locked their house up. It just showed up there. So there's a lot of high strangeness with it. Some people say, oh, you know, they're moving through dimensions. They can do that. I don't know. Maybe so. But however it's happening... Yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable what you're talking about and, and exciting at the same time, but it does sound like that's some type of an area that has a frequency that allows for interdimensional connection. So, yeah, maybe you don't actually see them, but it sounds like they certainly see you. 
We're going to go back. I don't know when. Um, we have a few things in front of us to do first before we plan that. But we're going to go back. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, introducing me, we do have our own show, and it's called Jerry Will's Show. Um, and we also have a members area. And we're going to invite the people in our members area to join us there when we do go back. And we'll spend a little bit longer time there to try and either see more, experience more, gather more answers, however it works out. But we'd like to we'd like to have more answers than we have. We'll probably go back to Joplin as well and do that one again. Um, this time maybe a little bit more prepared than last time, having, you know, different equipment, tested the equipment differently and so forth, uh, to try and not have any errors with that. But I think there's a lot of high strangeness. Of course, folks yeah. are always curious, why is it a place, why is it that place? And I don't know. Not entirely, but I can tell you this. <clears throat> Where Mena, Arkansas is at, and Board Camp Mine is more specific, but it's just a small town of about 200 people. Mena is the largest little town nearby. Um, this is on the eastern, northeastern edge of a in something called the North American Craton. And what that is, imagine the immovable object. That's the North American Craton. It's deep into the earth. Everything presses against it. So the unstoppable force, on the other hand, is everything you know outside of that, that large, dense block of stone that extends way down into the earth. And it's big. It's it's bigger than, well, it goes from, what, southern United States, way north into uh, Canada, <clears throat> the northern part of Canada, so and west as far as um, Idaho, and east as far as the Appalachia Mountains. Mm. <clears throat> so it's a very large thing. But you have all this crystal movement around it. When you have that kind of event where you have an immovable object and all the unstoppable forces around it pressing against it, this is where there's a lot of crystals. Whether you're in the Rocky Mountains or the Appalachians, you have a lot of crystal, and it gets compressed. And when it does, it releases energy in the form of plasma. That's the visible portion of it. The invisible portion of it are the terrific electromagnetic fields that are generated not just by this pressure, but also by effects from the sun and the Earth's own electromagnetic uh, sphere of influence upon all of us. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when you have this, this occurrence, in a place like Mina, you take a look at the geology, deeper into the geology, uh, you get into the... the um, the crustal movements and so forth. And you can see very clearly that when you have that much pressure 
that is going to have to release its energy somehow against the immovable object. And we feel that's part of what it is. The other thing interesting about the, uh, the Kraton is that when you take a look at uh, David Pilate's work, 411, The Missing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, all kinds of paranormal things. They are all along the Kraton. All of it. In greatest concentration, wow. all along the Kraton. And Kathy made that discovery uh, about two and a half years ago. So we've been piecing together you know, data points for the past two and a half years and uh, still have no answers. But we know that places like doorways, you know, like the doorway in southern Peru, uh, the doorway of Arumuru, and other other places where you go in there and you might just disappear. Yeah, you did. they are doorways. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there there are places where these phenomenal events can take place. And we're thinking that the reason why people just flat out disappear is because it's not that there are doorways, but that there are places where these events can occur. And they're triggered by a series of events, not just earthquakes and pressure upon the craton, but also effects from the sun and the Earth's uh, magnetosphere, and how that energy is channeled through the Earth. So we were looking into all that, and it's it's been quite a fascinating journey. I don't know that we'll ever get solid answers, but we feel that if we can get it to a point where we understand the energy involved in what's really happening, Mm -hmm. that maybe I could build something that would detect it. My background's in design engineering. I'm an electronics engineer. So I should be able to build something if I know what it is I'm trying to test. And that's what we're trying to do is get to that point. You know, um, we had a guest on the show, uh, Dr. J, who's a psychologist who had a Bigfoot encounter. He ended up writing a couple of books and becoming very friendly with a tribe of Bigfoot. He also had an acquaintance, a friend, who built something, uh, some type of a generator. Uh, you may want to talk to him about this just because he built something to amp up the energy so they could see them and hear them. And lots of very strange things happened as a result of this machine that this, this guy built. So I'll be happy to put you in touch with Dr. J. He's a lovely guy. And... Maybe that could help you, point you in the right direction with what you're trying to build also. You never know. It's certainly worth taking a look at. Yeah, I'll put you two together. And, you know, the other thing is with David Polite's work that is so critical is a lot of people talk about being in the woods and all of a sudden everything goes silent. No birds, no insects, nothing. And it's one of the earmarks of something's about to happen where you might disappear. (laughs) So people generally get a pretty bad feeling when that occurs. And even David has gone through it himself. He talks about it on his podcast where he and a friend ended up sitting on either side of a tree, kind of watching each other's backs uh, because this happened. 
and it it was quite uh quite creepy so i guess that's one of the earmarks of these experiences it sounds like some type of electromagnetic shift you know where these things shift realities or shift out of our our vision but something different is definitely going on so it's fascinating what you guys are doing i think it's great um, but I think Kathy needs to put a rope around your waist, Jerry, so you don't disappear <laughs> this time, <laughs> like you did in Peru. Yeah. yeah, and I've had people ask me, you know, would you do it again? And I just look at them and I say very calmly and straightforwardly, oh, hell no. That <laughs> once quite enough. Yes. That was the most remarkable experience I've ever heard. I think, PK, you would agree, right? That was incredible, what you went through. And poor Kathy, standing on the other side of that doorway, watching you glow and then disappear and not knowing if you were ever coming back. Oh, my gosh. Just unbelievable. unbelievable. It was very very troubling for her. You know, we've talked about it. You know, of course, at the moment when I got back um, during that ride back to Taipei Hotel, which is about 40 minutes away by bus, you know, we talked about it, and it it really had quite a profound effect on me, of course. But yeah. what it did for her was it was very, very troubling. You know, I wouldn't want to put her through that again. No. And I've had people say, well, what, just give me the tones and I'll go try it out myself. Because there's three tones that I use, and mm-hmm. I had to do it like over and over and over and over again. And finally, mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know which one it was, but I got it right. I mean, there were three tones. It's just how you do them. And, uh-huh. you know, you kind of forget exactly how you did it when you're being sucked into a wormhole. It has an effect <laughs> like But I tell them, no, you know, I don't think so, because, yeah, I mean, intellectually, it's like, yeah, I'm prepared. Intellectually, I was prepared, although I thought the whole thing was just, you know, not real. I didn't think it was real. You know, you you talk to a, a really old shaman dude who's become a friend over some time. And he says, oh, yeah, I see the ancients coming in and out of this place. You know, I saw them all the time as a kid and heard the tones they make and, you know, tell me the tones. And he was real reticent to do that. And finally he did. He says, but you be careful. So I'm thinking, ah, you know, another tall tale. Mm -hmm. So I did it. It wasn't a tall tale at all. It scared the hell out of me. Um. I just, uh, you know, the, you, you you go first into disbelief, and then when you realize what's going on, then you're looking around going, well, that's interesting. But then when it's time to go home, you don't know how to go home. And I yeah. didn't even how know do you how get long. Out of there? Exactly. You know, if it wasn't for the whoever it was I was talking to on that other side, I would never have made it back. I'm sure of that. Cause I, I would not have walked the distance 
to go around some corner that I didn't even know existed to see this black mass, gelatinous mass floating in the air and then run towards it. I, I would never have done that on my own. Even if I'd seen the black right. mass, I just sat there and thought, I don't know what this is, but wow. So, <clears throat> you know, they got me back and I'm really happy about that. But, you know, until you understand how you direct yourself, it's kind of sketchy on where you're going to end up. And until I understand how to drive one of those things, I don't want any part of it. And I think that knowledge is probably lost, lost to us if we ever knew it. Mm-hmm. Somebody knows it because that guy told me how to get back. But <laughs> thank God, me any yes. On how to uh, point myself somewhere else. Well, also, you really kept your wits about you, which I think for many people would be very difficult because there would a lot of people would just go into into hysteria. I mean, they would be so flipped out by finding themselves on the other side of that solid stone door. I think it would be hard for them to keep their focus. And so totally get it why you wouldn't share those tones. Um, because I'm sure you don't be, want to be participating in somebody going through that stone door and not being able to come out again. Because I'm sure many people have tried to go in and have gotten in but didn't get out. That's kind of what was told to us when we went there to shoot the documentary. I have a documentary about this too, folks. Um, It's part of the Expeditions TV archives. That's also in the members area at Jerry Will's show. Um, It's called Stargate of Armamuru. Anyway, uh, we talked to some of the locals. You know, they're just farmers. They don't they they speak um, Aymara or Quechua. They don't speak English. And so with an interpreter we had with us, we had that conversation. With the women, the women were always more forthcoming than the men. The men just sort of clammed up. But the women, you know, they would talk to us. And they said, oh, no, we have to keep our children away from there. It's the doorway of the devil. So well, why do you uh-huh. call it that? Because people go and sit there in front of it, and then we can't find them. They're just gone. Uh-huh. Something, snatch, something snatches them, she said. Something takes them away. So we, we don't go around that thing. Yeah, so, you know, I hear that sort of story from, I mean, these people have never been to grade school, let alone high school or otherwise. Their life is, you know, working in the fields, taking care of their families, you know, that sort of thing. And they don't have an agenda. They, they don't really have anything except their life, and you ask them a question, they answer you honestly, which is why I liked interviewing them. And the stories. Oh, man, the stories. They they were really something. Now, there there's several places in the Andes where we've done that. We spent, my God, 20 years in the Andes, looking for lost cities and investigating the paranormal. And you talk to these people, and you hear 
what they have to say and their their own understanding about what it is you're curious about. And you really get a fresh perspective. I mean, we, we think of it from an educated mind, from a social um a social mind concept, really, of, of everything that brought us to the point in our lives, our upbringing, and so forth. And these folks, <clears throat> they've lived in the mountains or in the jungle their entire lives. They have words and, and ways of explaining the weirdness. And they're very superstitious. And they, they tell you flat out, you know, don't go there because of this or that. And they might have a terminology that you don't really abide by, like, you know, evil spirits. Mm-hmm. But still you understand. They're afraid of something. It's good to understand why they are. And then you can come to your own conclusions if you decide to go farther. And, of course, Kathy and I always went farther, did more, <laughs> you know, got ourselves to trouble here and there. And now you was, also came across some skulls, didn't you? Some didn't you go down to an area in mm-hmm. South America that was supposed to have alien skulls? Did did you make it there? In order to oh, see yeah, them, yeah, we did another documentary. Another documentary. It's called um, "The Secrets of the Sand." It's another Expeditions TV documentary we made again in the members area. Um. And we did with the Paracas, uh, the Paracas skulls, you know, those elongated skulls. Yes. Uh, there's uh, Paracas, Ica City. Um, I think those are the two prominent places that we went that people might have heard of. And, yeah, I mean, we saw these skulls and we had um, <clears throat> uh, archaeolo- archaeological assistant guide who went with the scientists. Uh, We were in this one museum where some of these skulls are being shown in Ica City. Few people really ever go there. So this kid, I mean, kid, I'm 68, so he's a kid. (laughs) But um, he basically is telling us that you know, take a look at the the skull because this is what he learned from the medical team that examined the skulls. Take a look at the skull. You see this? Okay, that isn't human. See these little pieces here, and these things over here. That's not human. Here's a human skull over here, and he shows the comparison. And sure enough, they're different. Yeah. Um, he says, "You know what's really amazing?" I said, "No." He says, "Down in the basement." Let me show you. There is a mummy. They don't show it to the public, but there's a mummy in the basement. This is uh, a mummy of a woman that was pregnant when she died. The Mm -hmm. fetus is still there. And the fetus has an elongated skull just like the other ones in that museum. Huh. So it's pretty easy to come to terms with the fact, you know, these were not humans like we see each other. We're human and everything else isn't. I mean, I'm sure they were human in their own way, but mm-hmm. they were not like us. 
<clears throat> as far as an ET skull or something like, um, remember the Star Child skull? Uh, that was one that had very unusual characteristics with large eye sockets and so forth. Yeah, they looked like um, rays. Yeah. Exactly. When we were at Markawasi, which is a plateau, it's 13,000 feet, and Markawasi is extraordinary just to talk about it by itself, because everywhere on Markawasi there are stone carvings of faces, animals, um, just on and on and on. Like the face on Mars, it yeah. looks like it would be part larger object. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine a face on Mars that's actually part, the head part is part of a larger object that includes the uh, the body? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like a sarcophagus you'd see in Egypt, the large sarcophagus. Right. Well, that's on, that's on Markawasi. It's there. Oh, my gosh. So... They cover all the stuff up. They keep it from us. So it's so great that you and Kathy are on these expeditions to to dive deep and find it. Yeah, it's it's real exciting. We've discovered a burial cave. And we didn't pay a lot of attention to it while we were there. We didn't notice until we got back. But one of the skulls in this burial cave is just exactly like the Star Child skull. And anyone who takes a look at it, if you stop it and do a freeze frame on that, you'll see what we're talking about. It's very, very different. Um, That's also in um, from the expedition's TV archives in the members area. Um, There's a whole bunch of stuff in there, but this this weirdness, this weirdness was was just so surprising to discover once we got back. And getting to Markawasi, it's no easy affair. It takes a lot of planning because you have to go deep in the Andes, and it's a bit of a journey. And when you get there, there's no food, there's no water. Everything has to be carried up with you. You get to a little village called San Pedro de Costa, and from there you go seven miles along a path from 10,000 feet to 13,000 feet. And then you're up on the Markawasi Plateau. We've seen UFOs there numerous times, spirit beings there, and I believe that there is a dimensional, if you can call it dimensional, I don't know what it is, but it's another type of gate that goes between worlds, physical worlds. Mm. It exists there. It's a very strange place. I would never stay there overnight by myself. It just creeps me out way too much. Oh, my. Well, if it creeps you out, it's got to be pretty creepy, Jerry. Here's <laughs> the devil uh, out of me. I have, yeah. Have you guys ever explored Gobekli Tepe? Do you know anything about that place? It seems still so mysterious. We've not been there, and we were actually hoping to get over there by now. If mm-hmm. this business of COVID had not been... I'll be careful what I say, but if it didn't, if it didn't hadn't happened, we probably would have gotten there by now because that's on our radar. We believe, and you know, this is after having numerous conversations with 
quite a few people who are in the fringe science, the fringe archaeology. They're real archaeologists and they're real scientists, but they don't ascribe to the um, to the narrative that you know mm-hmm. scholars ascribe to. Right. Anyway, right. <clears throat> we believe after our conversations with these folks that Gobeki Tepe uh, was a place where people went to survive when um, when the earth changes occurred about 12,000 years ago. Oh, okay. And they, they placed themselves in this protective location and when it came time to come back out, they did. Over time, everything wood and whatever else, you know, it just rotted away and became dust. There are other places like that that uh, aren't as ornate, but there are other places uh, on that continent, uh, the Eurasian continent, that are just like that. Uh, quite a few of them are in England. And we know okay. within ourselves, I mean, there's nothing we can prove, but we know within ourselves that this is how people survived the terrific earth changes that occurred about 12,000 years ago. And who knows, it might have been well before that because this sort of thing happens about every 12,000 years on this planet. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're confident in our own way that these are records and remains that have been left behind by a culture that has now long since died and their memory has been forgotten until now. Mm-hmm. They just unearthed another site. It's a sister site to Gobekli Tepe. And they're, they're just uncovering things now. And they're saying something about it uh, being almost like a tuning fork, the way things are set up with the stones, these large stones, again, very similar to Gobekli Tepe. But there, there's just a lot there. It doesn't seem like any of these um, these people have really put their finger on what was going on there. But it's fascinating. Both of those sites I find very interesting and so little known about them. So I hope you guys well, do you get go, a chance to go there. You go back in the record of ancient history, another site that's always overlooked is a place called Coral. And that's um, that's in the deserts of Peru. Hmm. And it's unlike any city they've ever uncovered. It looks like something out of a science fiction movie, really, the way it's laid out. They found no evidence of weapons at all, just people living in peace and must have lived in peace for a thousand years. And then everything changed again, and these folks just vanished. They don't even know who they were or where they went. But it's in the same timeline as Gobeki Tepe. Interesting. Very interesting. There's so much back there. I mean, so much that still has to be brought forward. I know you and Kathy are doing your best to do that, too, which is exciting. Very exciting. And, you know, I wanted to go back to David Pilates' work for one minute, since you guys are also trying to get to the bottom of these disappearances. We had a guest on the show. Uh, he wouldn't give his full identity because he claims to work at a facility where they have cryptids and 
different kinds of life forms. And we asked a lot of questions, and he answered all the questions in a synthesized voice and then gave us a written transcript of the answers to the questions. But we asked about the people that were disappearing and why the weather was something that happens. Because, as you know, that's also one of the earmarks of people disappearing is there's bad weather, so it hinders the search effort. And he had an interesting answer. He said, that's alien-generated. He said, that's UFO stuff because they uh, can go wherever they want and they can create whatever weather they want to hamper any kind of a rescue. And he said, those that's who is doing those types of disappearances. But when it comes to disappearances in certain specific areas, it's cryptids that are doing it because they live there. You know, they're they're at these locations, they're at the boulder fields or wherever, and <clears throat> that's who's grabbing these people. I'm not saying it's Bigfoot necessarily. I'm saying it's cryptids. So he was very interesting. Some of the things, in fact, everything he said just made a lot of sense. But it is very, very disturbing to us that people can disappear without a trace, whether they're pulled up into the sky or pulled down under the earth, um, but the dogs can't find a scent. You know, they they just sit down or they walk in circles. That's unusual. So it is troubling. You know, and I'm watching uh, several of them lately, several cases, recent cases of this happening. So I hope you guys do get more information on what's what's going down with this, as these people are just gone without a trace. Yeah, that is... is it's imminently troubling and a terrific horror for the families involved. Oh, yeah. Like Pecos, yeah. Kathy was saying like the gal in Pecos, Pecos, New Mexico. We went there mm-hmm. to retrace her steps. You see, this, this gal used to go to a yoga retreat. She was, um, you know, what, her mid-60s, 50s, which was it, Kathy? Early 60s. And <clears throat> she'd drive from California and go to this retreat uh, that's near uh, Pecos, New Mexico. I forgot the name of it, but it's a really nice place. She drives, of course, along this one particular road, but on this particular occasion, prior to her disappearance, she turned off onto a dirt road that has nothing to do and would not even near where she was going. No one knows why she went this way. It was a small, compact car. She, uh, we took the Jeep, and it's a good road for the first couple of miles, and after that, it's really, you know, good thing we had a Jeep. We went back to where they found her car. They found footprints where she'd gotten out of the car. She walked around the car. Her purse and all of her belongings were still in it. She took a couple steps away from the car. Now, this is all soft earth mind you and uh, I, I think it had maybe uh, had a shower not a heavy rain but a shower you know prior to that because her car did get stuck well she took three steps away from the car and that was the end of it no more person just gone so we went oh. to the spot where they set up memorial for her and wandered around there a little bit trying to 
feel to see. You know, didn't really notice anything. Uh, so we kind of gave up on that. Found out that outside of Santa Fe, and Pecos is, you know, a little ways, not very far from Santa Fe, there was a fellow who had a car dealership. He was an avid hunter. He and his buddies would go up into the mountains right above Santa Fe and go hunting, hunting for elk. Mm-hmm. On this particular occasion, they went up, and he wasn't feeling well. So they went out scouting around, and when they got back, they found his gun was there, but he wasn't. They f- followed his tracks, and just like this woman, a few steps beyond the campground in moist earth and the end of the tracks. Nothing. So they, because this guy was a prominent citizen, they got uh, sheriffs involved more so than with this woman. And the search and rescue, they spent two weeks looking for this fellow, had dogs out there immediately. Dogs tracked the scent just to the footprints, and that was it. They never have found this fellow. He's been gone ever since. Some people say, well, maybe he just, you know, got lost. But he grew up in this area. And from where they were camped, if he'd waited until dark, you can see the lights of Santa Fe very clearly. It's just right down there. So it's not like you're in a place where you can't get your bearings. But instead, there's no blood. Uh, there, there's nothing, nothing at all, except the fellow was just flat out gone. And so we've looked into some of these ourselves just to feel the area, just to get a sense of what did it look like, what does it look like, and talk to some of the people involved. And everyone just shakes their head. They have no idea. There is no explanation. They just are gone. Yeah, that's just so wild. And, you know, when you talk about the fact that they were hunting for elk, there's something very important in that. The Carl Higdon case, which took place in Wyoming, um, Carl went out hunting for elk and, and ended up encountering an alien, an ET. And because what happened was he raised his high-powered rifle to shoot, and he pulled off a shot, and the bullet just hit something close by and just uh, flattened and fell to the ground. And then he was approached by this this E.T. who took him in the ship, and there were other humans in the ship. These E.T.s were taking elk with them for their food. So that tells me that there is a race of E.T.s that are taking elk for their own consumption. If you happen to be there (laughs) as a competitive hunter, you may get taken too. So... Carl's story is one of the most remarkable ones we've ever heard, especially because when he was returned, and they returned, he had had a vasectomy, and they guessed that that's probably one of the reasons why he was returned. But um, this one ET that took him really kind of liked him, and so he, they brought him back. <clears throat> His truck was in some place where they they must have dumped his truck in a specific area. He couldn't have driven there. It was impassable. 
So it was just placed there. He was totally disoriented. So when they finally found him, they took him to the hospital, and they did blood work. And his blood was so enriched, they could not believe it. They had never seen anything like it. And he talked about being given a pill while he was on board the ship that would keep him from feeling hungry. And the doctors had no explanation for what they were seeing in this blood work. And the town knew Carl, and they knew that he would never make anything up like this, ever. And they all got behind him and totally believed everything he had to say about his adventure. So I'll just pass that on because I think it's important to keep that in mind about the elk hunting since uh, these ETs did tell Carl, yeah, we're taking these elk with us, and they did. That's quite a story. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hmm. And we had both Carl and Marjorie, his wife, on the show. They they were real straight-up people, you know, very down-home, very honest. And um, it, it was just, I mean, we were spellbound uh, by everything they had to say. And Carl was still in contact with this ET that he met telepathically he he would be able to talk to him um he ran into some health problems and the et did not help him <laughs> i don't think he was happy about that but no it was quite the adventure sounds like it wow you know it'd be very i'd be very keen to speak with this fellow yeah i can put you in touch with them and they also marjorie wrote a book about it um and I can I can also send you an article that somebody wrote about it. I think it, there's no doubt that he went through exactly what he described, and especially with the blood work coming back that way. And there were other things. Somebody grabbed the bullet, too, and how it was collapsed in on itself because it hit something, I think maybe the ship or whatever. But just an amazing, amazing story, beautiful couple, uh, really lovely people. Right, PK? We just so enjoyed them. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. They were just really great people. But, yeah, this elk hunting thing seems to be a theme with people who get abducted or taken or disappear. Yeah, you know, you have to imagine at some point, if, if you're the person that has vanished, what are you experiencing? Where are you? You know, I'm sure their minds are racing. You know, whether it's being taken by extraterrestrials or just suddenly finding yourself in another timeline. Yeah. You know, that kid that uh, jumped through the... There, there's a, a Native American boy. He was in his teens playing with his friends back in the um, uh, late 1800s probably 1880s, uh, they were on a place that we call the Crystal Plateau. That's in southern Arizona, south of Aravaca. Uh, we have another documentary about this. It's, it's called uh, Doorway of the Gods. And this is a place where there was this naturally occurring stone arch. A lot of people tried to find this place. 
we found it with the help of Ron Quinn, the, the man who actually lived in his tent mining for geodes at this location. We became friends with him until his death. Well, the story goes something like this. I mean, the story entirely is told on this documentary. It's quite a story. But this, this Native American boy is playing with his buddies, and he jumps through this arch, and he vanishes, never to be seen again. The, uh, the other two boys run and get the chief and the elders, come back there explaining what happened. Some of the others from the village are there, including one woman who has uh, a rabbit. And so she just tosses the rabbit through this. It's a natural arch, about seven foot tall, maybe four foot wide. Just made out of stone, looks quite natural. She tosses a rabbit through, and mid-flight, the rabbit just vanishes. Wow. Well, of course, the elders are quite concerned that this is a, a, a spooky place, and they don't want anybody else to get vanished. So they make it off limits, and that's that. And so they stop going there. Fast forward uh, into the 1940s, 1950s, an Indian boy was found by hunters or ranchers, probably ranchers because they had ranches and cattle by that point in time. And it looked like he had died recently, but he was dressed in period clothing of the 1800s. Oh, my. But he was just lying about a 1,000 feet from where the plateau was at. It's no longer there. It collapsed on itself. But uh, about a thousand feet from that that archway, and there he lay. No mention about a rabbit, of course. But Ron Quinn spent a lot of time there digging for geodes, and on a few occasions, he had some of the most spectacular incidents ever I've ever heard that happened to him. And you might wonder, you know, Ron Quinn, what's he all about? Well, he's a pretty down-to-earth rockhound. He and his brother lived out there after uh, they got out of the Army. Uh, it's in the 40s. And the only reason they heard this story is because even though Native Americans were kind of spit upon by most of society during that time, uh, they didn't have any problem with them. And there was a Native American fellow there who had a flat tire, and so they stopped and helped him to change his tire, and the guy became friends with them. And uh, over the period of time, they started tell, talking about some of these stories. And uh, it was really quite a thing. So Ron was a very believable, honest fellow that when he told you something, it was just the way it is. And it's like a lot of people, you know, like that living out in the wilderness. They, they don't have a, an axe to grind. They just right. you know, hear something, they tell you, and that's that. <clears throat> so anyway, we did a documentary. We went back out there and uh, shot footage. And now, although the original arch had collapsed and just rubble, there's now a new arch there. And Ron couldn't explain it. He said it was never there before. And it's still there. Last we checked, it was still there. 
Um, most recently, a fellow went up there, a fellow from California. He'd heard these stories. He wanted to check it out for himself. He went there by himself. I would never go there by myself. But no he did, way. and he set no. up camp with, with a tent and supplies. He's going to be there for a week. He didn't show up, and so his family called the sheriff. The sheriff got a hold of Ron. Where is this place? Because even they had trouble finding it, which gives us a good feeling, knowing that it took us quite a lot to find it. Mm-hmm. They go out there. They find the guy's tent, his rifle, all of his belongings, everything. But there's no no person, no evidence of foul play, nothing. Just all the guy's belongings, including his clothes, his weapons, his wallet, all of it. The guy was just gone. Yeah. We've been there and camped out near there, and you see these um, large balls of light floating around, you know, down through the valleys. You know, we, we've had uh, one occasion, we had wind that was hurricane force wind. It was so strong that it uh, picked up, picked Kathy up. Oh, my gosh. Into the air and down onto the ground. Oh, my goodness. Uh, skinned her up pretty badly. I mean, it was such strong wind, I would never believe it possible. We checked with uh, National Weather Service and with Border Patrol. Border Patrol is all over that area. Of course, it's 12 miles from the Mexican border. And I said, no, there was never any wind last night. Uh, it was all huh. calm, clear. And it was clear, but there was a terrific wind that blew. And we're thinking, if this does open up between timelines, maybe the air pressure difference causes this terrific amount of wind to occur. It's the only explanation a, we have for it. That is a good one. I like that explanation. That makes sense. You know, don't you think, PK? It does. That adds up. Crazy. Yeah. But that, well, I think but, you the, know, uh, a lot of this, the, you know, in the old, old Native American tradition, too, and I'm sure you've heard this, Geronimo, was able to travel through portals. He'd end up, he'd start in one place and end up 100 miles um, away from where he started, but he knew what he was doing. He understood how to use those portals for himself and to get from one place to another in this reality. But but that also reminds me of your experience at Amatomoro and how you got in and you got out. But you have to have right. a certain kind of focus to do that and to not be overwhelmed by uh, fear in in order to to do what you need to do and come back home like you did like Geronimo did and i'm sure there are other many uh many other shamans who knew how to how to use those spots but when you're just an average person and you're going to have an adventure it may not be the adventure that you want <laughs> if you can't you can't make it home. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. There's a cave down there in the mountains. Uh forgot the name of the mountains now. It's down in Tucson. <clears throat> and um, it's not far from the highway. We have not been there. But we have a friend who is Apache. 
And because she knows we're this interested and we've proven ourselves to her, she offered to show us the cave, the one of the caves, I guess, where Geronimo would go in and he'd appear 100 miles away. She said she would take us in and show us that. And we just haven't done it. But I think oh. soon we probably will. Oh, that's going to be exciting. Wow. Yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, we got to have you back to talk about your next adventures, which I'm sure are right around the corner. <laughs> so <laughs> it is always so wonderful to have you with us on the air, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight. And, again, everybody, go to Jerry's website, jerrywills.com. And is it Jerry Wills TV or jerrywills.tv? What's the other site where they can see your documentaries? It's jerrywillsshow.com. You can do a search and for all of these things. There's so much there. It's all video. There is some audio as well. But um, there's uh, just so many shows that are there. They're usually two hours or longer. When I get started talking with people, it's hard to stop. And I don't just keep myself within a time frame. I just keep going if it's interesting. Anyway, it's video. It's jerrywillsshow.com. It is a membership site. And Great. You can Everybody watch should become a member. Yeah. yeah so. We should all become members, everybody. And then you can participate with Jerry and Kathy on their next adventures. Because so, you said you'd be inviting people from the members group. So that is mm-hmm. exciting. If you want to participate in a true paranormal adventure, then join this group with Jerry and become a member. Go yeah, to fast so, Jerry, Jerry. Yeah, unfortunately we're going to have to wrap up. We're running out of time, but thank you so much. Love to you and Kathy, and we will be in touch. Please do the same. Take care. Thank you. It was a privilege to be on with you folks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Next week we'll be back, everybody. Until then, see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls.